Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Big Happy Life podcast. Like most podcasts with happy or happiness in the title, the whole point is to experience greater happiness. I'm your host, Natalie Britt, and last week I put my stake in the ground and I said, I'm only going to make this podcast if it makes a difference. It needs to make a difference in my life and it needs to make a difference in yours. So today, I have to answer a really fundamental question. Is it even possible to be happier? On the Big Happy Life website, it says, happiness is a skill. It can be learned and it can be taught. So you won't need a spoiler alert to know that by the end of this episode, you will have clearly heard me say, yes, it is possible to be happier. That said, if you're thinking there's a but, you're absolutely right. There is a but, and it's a great big one. It's the kind of but that complicates things enough that there are people who believe, no, it's not possible to be happier. It's brain chemistry, and there's nothing we can do about it. Before I go any further, it's really important for me to say I am not a mental health professional. I'm not a therapist. I am a person who has experienced depression multiple times in the last 30 years, and I'm also the mom of children who've experienced great trauma in their lives. So mental health and well-being and the ability to experience happiness regardless of your story and your experience is a huge part of my life and occupies my thoughts and habits on an everyday basis. And it's the learning and experience from my own life that I share with you in this episode. My hope is that by the end of this episode, you have some ideas for things to research or habits to try, things to do that will allow you to experience something different within your life without necessarily changing the circumstances of your life right away. That said, if you are at a point where you're currently experiencing mental ill health, one of the best resources I have ever found is mind.org. UK. They're a mental health charity and they offer fantastic support, loads of great resources and just really useful information. It's really worth a look if that higher level of professional support is what would be more beneficial to you right now. For now though, back to that question. Is it possible to be happier? Of course, I have already given away that my answer is yes, but why do I think that? The first and most obvious answer is because my experience has shown me that. I've had a fair few run-ins with depression over the years, and what I learned was that the more intentional I got about my everyday habits, my mental health disciplines, if you like, the less frequent those bouts became, and the less severe they became. They lasted a shorter time, and the way I felt while I was in them was never as dark. So back in my 20s, I remember regularly thinking, I think I've actually fundamentally changed. I don't think I can laugh anymore. I don't think I will ever be able to laugh again. And I remember being really scared by that and thinking, I'm, I'm broken. Something's so wrong with me that it's never going to be fixable. Those were the times when I would toy with the idea of antidepressants, and that was usually what doctors would recommend as well. But I was so scared of the implications of antidepressants, of becoming addicted and stuck on them for my whole life, that I usually waited such a long time to make the decision that eventually things just regulated and things went back to normal. And over time I learned that there's a natural cycle and that even if I do nothing it will eventually pass. But I also learned 
that I could do so many things that became preventative, that helped while I was in those stages, and that also made them shorter, lighter, and made me come out the other side. Funnily enough, one of the strangest things that helped was to respect the negative emotions, whatever they were and however they arose. Looking at them rather than running away from them was always a better thing to do, but it took me a really long time to work that out. I recorded an episode about this actually in series one. It's called The Seasons of Happiness. So if the idea of paying attention to your emotions rather than kind of numbing them or running away from them is important to you, have a listen to that episode and also look out for future episodes in season two where I'll explore a bit more practically the idea of engaging with those emotions and really paying attention to them. Because although it seems quite counterintuitive in a pursuit for happiness, one of the most important things you can do is give all of your emotions the airtime they deserve because they all have something to teach us. And then when I was out the other side, there were things that would allow me not to reach a kind of neutral point, but to experience something better than neutral, to experience resilience and personal strength and motivation and energy and happiness. And it's because of that experience or those collective experiences that I record this episode, because I believe there are always things we can do. And I think it's got more to do with what happens between those dark periods for those of us who experience them than it has to do with what happens when we're in those periods. And so that's where I turn my focus now. So we'll move away from this idea of happiness versus depression and rather look at the skills or the disciplines required to experience happiness. And I have found that to be the case. For the vast majority of us, if we want happiness, we have to be intentional about it. For most of us, deliberately creating a happy life takes more effort and discipline than resigning ourselves to an unhappy one. That's such a counterintuitive idea, it's worth repeating the statement. Deliberately creating a happy life takes more effort and discipline than resigning ourselves to an unhappy one. There are loads of reasons to explain why that statement is true, and I'll only be able to explore a couple of them here. The first one I'll talk about is related to the fact that we're kind of hardwired towards the negative. And the second relates to the fact that culturally, particularly in the West, we've somehow managed to really confuse pleasure and happiness, and they're not the same thing. So I'll start with this negativity bias, a bias that had real survival value when we were hunter-gatherers, but these days doesn't serve us particularly well. And put simply, it's the fact that we tend to put greater weight on negative things than we do on positive things. So left unchecked, those negative things will very naturally grab our attention and will very naturally spend our time and energy on them. And in terms of survival, it makes sense for us to be hardwired that way. Because only those who were able to spot and eliminate or neutralize a threat would survive. Arguably, you're only here because your ancestors were good at that. So in terms of the way we think, we have better memory for negative events than we do for positive. And in a situation where there are both positive and negative elements, we will naturally be drawn to the negative. If I show you a photograph and there are 50 people in the photograph, 49 of whom are smiling and one who's frowning, the likelihood is your attention will be drawn to the one who's frowning. And the last aspect of negativity bias that affects our happiness is that we tend to hold on to things we have because the loss of them weighs more heavily than a potential gain, which means often we would rather stick with something we're not happy with than risk 
everything to have something that could make us happy. I see versions of this in my work all the time. When leaders in organizations have these great ideas and things they want to do and big changes they want to make and they start going out saying, you know, we can have all of this, we can do all of this, it's going to be amazing. But for people to go with the idea, they have to give up what they already have. And that's so uncomfortable for them that they very often resist change, even if there's huge benefit to be had. So a negativity bias basically means if left to its own devices, your brain will very naturally lead you to focus on the negative, pick out the threat, notice why things aren't working, remember when things went wrong, and just naturally, by keeping all of that at the forefront of your mind, could very easily leave you feeling less happy. And that's why I say being happier takes discipline, because you have to develop the ability to override instinctive hardwiring. And that takes masses of strength and resilience. Also fairly hardwired is our sense of identity and our beliefs. And sadly for a lot of us, those are also subject to the negativity bias. So often we'll pick out the negative things about ourselves, the things we don't like. When we examine our beliefs about ourselves and about other people, about what's possible for us and what's true in our lives. Again, those beliefs are often shaped by the negativity bias because the instinct to stay safe far outweighs the instinct to risk something on the possibility of something better. And let's face it, the feeling of happiness is merely the possibility of something better, but going for it is a risk. So if you decided you wanted to experience greater happiness in your life, yes, it's absolutely possible, but it requires you to give up some of the things you have in your life right now, even if for no other reason than to create time that would allow you to do the things that could ultimately increase or boost your happiness. And I'm assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, then your current baseline of happiness is lower than you would like it to be. Right back in series one, I talked about baseline happiness and the work of Sonia Lebomirsky. And I'm going to talk about that again now, because it really helps explain why my answer to the can we be happier question is yes. Sonia Lebomirsky is a professor of psychology at the University of California. She's won dozens of awards for her work in the field of happiness. And she wrote a brilliant book called The How of Happiness, which explains kind of practical ways to develop everyday habits that ultimately contribute to your level of happiness. In her book, she talked about some of the contributing factors to happiness. And what her research has led her to believe is that we all have a baseline happiness level and that that baseline is determined by three things. It's determined by genetics, it's determined by our life situation, and it's determined by our everyday habits. And of course, most people wouldn't be surprised by that. But what is surprising is the breakdown. According to Lebomirsky's research, about half of that baseline is determined by genetics. So if your parents and grandparents and great-grandparents were very naturally positive, happy people, the likelihood is that your baseline is going to be set that bit higher. And if you come from a family who's experienced more depression, anxiety, or other forms of mental ill health, then the likelihood is that your baseline will be that little bit lower and that you'll be more susceptible to those types of experiences. Again, not too surprising, but there is more to say about that because it's not as simple as I carry the gene for that, therefore I will experience it. But I'll explain that in a second. In terms of Lebomirsky's research, where the big surprise comes in is the amount of our baseline that's determined by our life situation. Life situation meaning how much money do we have, what job do we do, what's our family life like, all of that stuff. 
and according to this research, that only makes up 10% of our baseline. That seems counterintuitive because most of us would think, well, I'm not happy because I hate my job, or I'm not happy because I don't have enough money to get through the month, or I'm not happy because my relationship's making me miserable. But actually, the way those things manifest in our lives is determined by our everyday habits, the ways we repeatedly think, and the things we repeatedly do. And that includes beliefs, because of course beliefs are nothing more than repeated thoughts. So the remaining 40% comes down to our everyday habits. When I first looked at Leibomirsky's research, I thought of it as 60% of your baseline happiness being outside your control, your genetics and your life situation. And then 40% being in your control, your everyday habits, the things you repeatedly do and the ways you repeatedly think. But now I look at that slightly differently. I look at it as 50% outside of your control, your genetics. 40% theoretically in your control, your habits. But actually it's more complicated than that, so that's a whole series of podcast episodes in its own right. But for the purposes of ease, let's say habits are in your control right now. So 40% in your control. And 10%, some of which is outside your control, but some of which is the result of what you did with your 40%. As an example, back in my 20s, one of the things that really stressed me out was debt. I was up to my eyeballs in it. But what were my habits? Spending. The worse I felt, the more I bought. So I could argue one of the reasons that I wasn't happy was because I was in debt and I had no money. But actually one of the reasons I was in debt and had no money was because I was spending in an effort to try and feel better rather than doing something more productive that actually would make me feel better. Back then, I didn't know how to shape my habits. I didn't know how to invest in my mental health in such a way that I would build my resilience and ultimately come to see myself in a positive light, somebody who was strong and capable and positive. Since then, I've learned a lot about the kinds of habits that allow you to do that. And I'll share the specifics of those habits in later podcasts. But the other important thing my experience has taught me is that regardless of what you do with your 40%, the habits you have are always iterative. In other words, they build on each other. So when you think in ways that build your resilience and naturally make you feel and think more positively, that naturally leads to more of the same. And when you think in ways that deplete your resilience, make you feel small and less than, that that also creates the same type of spiral, but in the other direction. So when life situation becomes really challenging, if you're already naturally in an upward spiral, the way you face that challenge is going to be different and is going to feel different than if you're already naturally in a downward spiral. And naturally, if your habits lead you into those downward spirals, then big changes in your life situation can be much more challenging to deal with. In truth, even small changes in your life situation can be much more challenging to deal with. Because if you haven't got the habits that lead you to feel in control and resilient, it can often feel like you're just being thrown around in your own life. And then it's much more likely that you engage in those types of habits, like mine with the spending, because I didn't know to look inside myself, so I went outside myself to find something that made me feel better, which of course exacerbated the problem and made me feel worse, and then downward spiral. So when I say, yes, it is possible to be happier, it involves changing those patterns. But changing those patterns can be massively difficult. And that's what I mean about the skills and the discipline it takes. Back in my 20s, if somebody had told me all of this stuff, to be honest, I'd probably have thought about it. But then I'd probably have gone shopping. Because that's much more fun. But that would have kept me in that same cycle until the pattern broke. 
Regardless of whether you're in an upward spiral or a downward spiral, the pattern always breaks at some point. Either you break it or something in your life situation breaks it. But again, how you feel about those breaks is determined by what you do with your 40%. So when you're intentional about it, you have a greater chance of creating an upward spiral, of moving upwards from your baseline. And when you don't use your 40% intentionally, you run the risk of a downward spiral, unless your genetics and your life situation very naturally boost you anyway. But I can count on one hand the number of people I've met who fit into that category. So for the rest of us, yes, it is possible to be happier, but we have to work at it. And that big but I mentioned to you at the start is that our entire lives, our whole culture, certainly in the West, is geared in the opposite direction of the habits that would serve us well. Shopping, eating, drinking, money. Somewhere along the line, in Western culture, we have begun to confuse pleasure with happiness. And very often the things from which we derive pleasure are actually the things that will ultimately make us less happy. So here's the crux of that answer. Is it possible to be happier? Yes, if you have the discipline to prioritize it over everyday pleasures. And often people get really confused by that. The number of times I've heard people say, and I've said it myself, well, life's not worth living if you don't have chocolate or cake or wine or whatever. Life's too short to give up all the things you love. And to be fair, that's not even the point. The point is this. The most precious thing we have in our lives is time. How we use that time determines our experience of the world. If we spend our time sitting around watching Netflix, eating and drinking, browsing social media, then that's time we can't use for something that would sustain us and that would build happiness. If we spend it sitting around thinking about how tight money is and how we wish we could win the lottery, but we probably never will, or talking to colleagues about how rubbish our boss is, or how much we hate where we live, that's time we're not using to do something about those things. So when you get intentional about happiness, You've got to decide whether the things you're spending your time on, the habits you have, the everyday ways you think and the things you do, allow you to invest time in moving that baseline upwards. If they do, you will likely experience greater happiness. If they don't, you won't. So if happiness is what we're after, the basic thing we have to do is be intentional about how we spend our time. In doing that, we allow our 40% to impact our life situation. But can our 40% impact our genetics? There's quite a popular belief that if you are genetically predisposed to something, it's kind of a foregone conclusion. But it turns out that may not be true. Having read Johan Hari's book, Lost Connections, about the causes of depression and whether or not antidepressants actually work, I'm not 100% sure about the genetic connection being purely genetic. Something we know from within the field of epigenetics is that you can carry the gene for something, but how you live determines whether that gene is switched on or switched off. So now your everyday habits take on even more weight, because if what we do on an everyday basis determines whether or not a gene will get switched on or switched off, then the implications of our everyday habits are huge when it comes to our experience of mental health and happiness. The fact that so much can be affected by what we do and think every single day is why I say absolutely yes, it is possible to move our baseline happiness. But it isn't easy and we have to be disciplined and intentional about it. Next week sees the start of the Intentional Living mini-series running on the Big Happy Life podcast. 
It's a six-part series that starts with a kind of life audit, a chance to reflect on where you are right now, what's going on for you, and basically map out how you see the things and the people in your life. And from there, I'll take you through a series of steps in each episode that will help you identify the things you want to do to intentionally shape your thoughts, your actions, and your life towards greater happiness. In the meantime, if this episode has sparked thoughts or questions for you, please visit bighappylife.co.uk and comment on the show notes page. And if you'd like to be notified when that next episode goes live, remember to subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to. For now, though, that's it. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.